Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Happy holidays. We're actually recording this less than a week away from Christmas. Uh, and some presents are under the tree, as this is going to be our early signing period show. Uh, I'm Jeff Sharon, alongside Brian Murphy, Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. What's up, Brian? That joke wasn't as bad as you made it out to be. I know. I, I, I actually <laughs> am really proud of myself. And joining us for the very first time uh, in the stead of Eric Lopez, which means the show is going to be about half the length that it normally is, uh, Zach, <laughs> Zach, excuse me, Zach Goodall. Joins us uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. What's up, Zach? I'm really happy to be here, guys. It's been my lifelong dream to show up on this show. So I've got <laughs> got some butterflies in my stomach, and I'm ready to talk about my I, UCF nights because God knows I'm going to have a lot more fun with this than I do about the Jaguars. I, I actually believe you when you say your lifelong dream because you're like three years old. But anyway. I literally um, promise you. <laughs> so uh, we are blackandgoldbanneret.com, SB Nation's home for the UCF Knights. You can reach us at blackandgoldbanneret.com or on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret uh, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. You can also subscribe to this podcast if you don't already uh, on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. All right, so here we are. It's December. Uh, by the way, a little bit later, we're going to talk uh, some basketball. Um, obviously, the fall sports have wrapped up, so we don't have to worry about that. But there is some football news, and it doesn't even have to do with the bowl game or the playoff. Can you believe that? Uh, we've begun the early signing period, the uh, 2018-2019 early signing period for football. Uh, and uh, it was a pretty good one uh, for UCF. They signed on the order of 20 guys to the uh, to the latest class. Uh, let, let's see if I can get all the talking points correct. Let, let's see. This is the greatest class in school history. Uh, we filmed all of the needs that we needed to fill for the next coming years. The future is very, very bright. There's a lot of speed. There's a lot of size. Uh, okay, so we've covered all of the talking points. There don't, we go. Don't don't forget that anyone that chose a different school over UCF was definitely paid. Yeah, they were definitely paid. There was some cheating going on, and you know we didn't really want them anyway. Um, all right, but no, let's actually talk about um, this class because I, I think that – all right. We talk about the transition in recruiting from George O'Leary to Scott Frost. It was fairly obvious, right? Um, we went from, you know – well, O'Leary kind of guys, mostly from the state of Georgia, to Florida, 
outright speed. Okay, especially trying to get kids from Central and South Florida. Um, the change from jo- uh, from Scott Frost to Josh Heupel, I think, has been a little bit more um, subtle. Zach, I want to start with you. What have you noticed about uh, it, now that we have this second full class under the Heupel regime in the books? What have you noticed about what Heupel wants and how that's different from what Frost wanted initially? Well, I see a lot of similarities because they like to do a lot of the same things, except, you know, Frost was all about speed and Hypel was essentially like a coked up version of what Frost wanted in, in the best way possible because <laughs> I was going to say, what does saw- that mean? <laughs> <laughs> in the best way possible, I promise, because like speed times freaking 10. And um, I mean, I I'm actually buddies or well, used to be. We don't really talk much anymore because he's famous and I'm not um, with Kayvon Ahmad, who was one of the signings last year because I played football with him when he lived in the Jacksonville area before moving back to Texas. And he was like the prized possession of Frost class. And then he stuck around with when Heupel came through. Um, you know, Heupel was given like a, a week, two weeks maybe to get ready for early signing period after he got hired last year. Um, but there was emphasis on speed in Frost class. And we saw that again and not even just speed, but guys in general that can move in this class. And up at the top, I mean, it is a top-heavy class. And bringing in a defensive tackle from St. Petersburg and Keenan Hester, the dude is exactly what Randy Shannon wants in a defensive lineman. And when he was at Florida, Randy Shannon was kind of known for having these guys that weren't as technically sound as defensive linemen, but my God, if they weren't fast off the line. And that's exactly what Keenan Hester, as well as Raymond Cutts, both are. They're explosive out of their stance. They're the first ones into the backfield, and that generally led to their high production is just, you know, at the high school level, it was there's not a ton of technique you can learn because you, you come and go while your body is still developing and there's just I mean it's not like the NFL where technique is so refined and you could see that on these guys' film that they were just the true explosive like mismatches against the teams that they went against and that's exactly what Randy Shannon wants in a defensive lineman. So you see that in Hester, you see that in cuts, just guys that can move. You see that on the opposite side, Adrian Medley. He was a flip from Texas A&M who was one of the more exciting guys that signed, in my opinion. Um, I know an offensive lineman's not necessarily exciting, um, but he was a Texas A&M flip with offers from Alabama, Clemson, bunch of I think he had 10 SEC offers and he flipped from an SEC school to UCF so suck it haters Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I I, coming in hot in his first podcast (laughs) look at that Brian geez I like like to try and make it as entertaining as possible (laughs) but he's he's like that he's um from an offensive lineman standpoint is the dude's incredibly quick out of his stance. He can move. He likes to move his feet. He never has any dead feet when he's moving. He's constantly moving. Uh, Demarius good was a Miami flip. Essentially he decommitted um, from Miami. I think three weeks ago or something like that ended up with UCF. Um, so kind of a steal. He's their second highest graded prospect. He's an athlete that played running back, but I wouldn't be shocked if maybe they move him to corner local kid too out of eight? Lake Brantley as well so yeah exactly so and that's the thing is that this is uh, that's another thing with Heupel is that he's followed in Frost footsteps and really getting Florida and some South Florida guys as well were interested there was cornerback um something I think Jason Brownlee who was 
a tie pretty much bet- tied up between Florida State and UCF, a four-star by ESPN. And he ended up sliding with um, FSU, but it was it seemed like a real tough decision. He had a teammate coming here in Arian Johnson, a if I said his Amari Johnson. Amari Johnson, was, yeah. Um, you know, it, it it's become it's become an appealing school for guys that have that game-breaking speed that are more likely than not to be the three stars that develop into true competitive players that some teams are like, how do we miss this guy? And I think speed is such an important aspect in what developing college talent at this point because the technique is still, unless you're an Alabama defensive lineman, like technique is so far from polished at the college level, but you can utilize guys that have such great speed because that technique isn't great against the from the guys they're going against. Brian, you were uh, you were at you were on campus for the um, post game or post game. Yeah, right. For the, yeah. Well, I guess you could call it that, actually, for, for the uh, news <laughs> conference afterwards with the coaching staff. Was there any useful information you could have gleaned from their reaction to the class today? It was a Josh Heupel showing for the ages. So no, actually some, <laughs> someone no, exactly. That's someone did ask him at the end of the press conference. Coach, did you go one and zero today in in recruiting? And he actually came back with, I think, well, not yet. We went one, we went one half and zero. I, <laughs> I think that other half might have been waiting till five thirty for them to announce Dylan Gabriel because clearly. They knew they had Dylan Gabriel already by the time we talked to the Hypo at 3.30. They put out a video showing sort of uh, the timeline of how certain recruits uh, committed and, and signed on the dotted line today. And, and you could tell that they, they, they had known that they got uh, a Gabriel locked in before we met with Hypo at 3.30. But he had to be coy about it and be, uh, you know, just couldn't say anything because it wasn't official. Um, and then at 5.30, UCF gets what many will just, you know, kind of without even looking at him, just say it's the next Mackenzie Milton yeah, because of where he came from and where he went to school. Well, Dylan Gabriel is a quarterback. He's uh, He went to Miliani High School just like, uh, or Miliani High School, just like Mackenzie Milton did. Um, supposedly talked with Mackenzie um, every day. I guess when you look back on it in retrospect, maybe this is not as much of a surprise as everyone was making it out to be. Uh, he's a lefty. He's six feet tall. Um, he is 185 pounds. He's also, if I'm not mistaken, I think the all-time leading passer in the state of Hawaii, in, in the history of the state yes. of Hawaii. Okay, now, mm-hmm. now ahead of Tua. And now ahead of Tua, which you know, take that, Bama. Um, <laughs> the so, but uh, yeah, I know. But Zach, have you had the chance to break him down? And well, <laughs> let's put the question out there: Is he the next Mackenzie Milton? I haven't done enough tape with him because I like to really dedicate a lot of time to quarterbacks because if there is any position coming to the college level where like maybe not as much technique but like truly getting an idea to where their mind state is as a player like quarterbacks obviously going to be that position um but he was obviously highly touted he had a lot of interest from Georgia they flipped the Ohio State commit today i can't remember his name uh obviously with the controversy of justin fields they wanted to shore up the quarterback position behind jake Fromm. so i'm sure that commit uh that signing from the ohio state flip kind of you know pushed georgia down to gabriel's list that's duan mathis by the way that you're talking about but anyway go ahead yeah uh usc came along late 
like December 15th was his official visit. They only have three um, pro quarterbacks on their roster. Um, they did have a commit, but I'm pretty sure he was a three star as well. So he wasn't anything to, you know, truly hang your hat on for a program like USC and the talent pool that they have. Um, but Cliff Kling, uh, Kingsbury, who was just hired in the past, what, week or two? By yeah. USC, the offensive coordinator, was the primary recruiter. So there, that tells you just how long, um, you know, how short of time really that they had dedicated to Gabriel. But they definitely shot up his list. He posted that USC was in his top three as of, I think, two days ago. But when you looked at all the factors and you knew USC did have another commit, UCF didn't after losing Charlie Dean about a month ago to Harvard. Um the quarterback situation as it is here with KZ and his injury. Um, Max, obviously, probably going to be the favorite to start next year. Um, they've got Quadri Jones. Uh, I've heard potential little whispers about something that could be going on on Friday, but I'm not going to. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Not, what? I can't. I can't. I can't give anything out yet. Just keep your eyes peeled onto Twitter for later in the day. Um just any night's news that you can find. I don't know. Like, this isn't official. This is just some whispers. But uh-huh. but pretty you're much... Say- Go ahead. I, I'm sorry to cut in, but you're saying there could be another... There could be another quarterback? Possibly? Maybe. I might Maybe. have said I might have said too much. No, it's not Justin no. Fields. <laughs> but, oh, but, but, okay. but... But if you want... But... Apparently, there's a direct source to Justin Fields that like is saying UCF might be of a little bit of interest. Obviously, behind the Ohio States and Oklahomas of the world, but uh, it was on what like Dogs Nation or something like that. Like a legitimate outlet just recently posted like an hour or two before we recorded this that UCF has Fields' attention, which is really freaking cool. Because just to give it to Gator fans, after all the back and forth that's been going on between the fan bases, to see Fields end up here. And UF getting shut down by Fields twice would just be hilarious. Um, <laughs> but no, there's, there's. I mean, I, I really might be saying too much. Um, just keep eyes peeled to Twitter um, sometime on Friday. Uh, there's no confirmation if this is definitely going to happen. I've just heard little whispers about something that could be exciting for yeah. UCF in their offense, but. With Gabriel, I mean, that pretty much sums it up right there is that we don't know exactly what might happen on Friday as much as we don't know what will happen with the UCF quarterback position. If Mackenzie Milton will be able to make the full recovery everyone wants him to and maybe be back in late 2019 or in 2020, which, you know, if I were KZ, I'd say we should probably give it till 2020. Yeah. Uh, But with Mac, with Quadri Jones, I mean, Gabriel saw an opportunity where he could come in and maybe while he's really young, compete to, uh, with Mac and Quadri Jones. And at, you know, absolute minimum, he's going to be the youngest quarterback on the roster um, in with this group of guys that they have. And he should be able to maybe one day win the job. And what a transition that would be from Milton to Gabriel from the exact same high school, pretty much the same frame. You know, it, I think that would be a really cool storyline. Now – this intrigues me though because you know there's still this guy named Daryl Mack who's going to be starting the Fiesta Bowl and had a career game in the American Athletic Conference Championship. Uh, granted, Daryl Mack, you know he did look a little shaky in uh, in the ECU game, uh, throwing the ball as he did in the second half of the South Florida game when he came in after KZ got hurt. Now, is this 
is this what coaches do? Where I, I know that coaches like to say, you know, I like we want to get one quarterback a year. If if a guy transfers eventually, then he transfers eventually. But we want to have one guy at least in the shuffle every year because you never know what's going to come down. Um, is there any indication that the reason why UCF is showing so much interest in in these quarterbacks is that? they may have doubts about Daryl Mack going forward, or is this just like doing their due diligence as far as the recruiting class is concerned? I think it's probably a healthy mix of both. And I mean, let alone doubt in Mack because of his inexperience, but doubt because of Melton's injury. And they, they probably, while they ultimately have more info than any of us do, like there has to be doubt with exactly how he'll be able to come back from such a terrible, terrible injury. Right. Um, Prayers up that he does, though, because he's one of my favorite players I've ever watched in my young life. Um, but I think it's a mix of both. Um, there could be a little bit of uncomfort with Mac because there's obviously room for improvement in his game, a little bit more consistency as a passer. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that he does have the respect of this team right now. Um, he should be with, I mean, having more experience than Quadri. Obviously, he's going to have more uh, experience than Gabriel because Gabriel will literally just be joining the team in January that he should be the favorite to start. But uh, in my covering of the Jaguars in the NFL draft, the idea that people love to throw around is that teams should draft a quarterback every year, whether it's early, whether it's with their last pick in the seventh round, just to have a guy groom him let him compete for at least a practice squad or backup role because it's such a premium position and while you're more likely to find your guy in the first round than you are in with the 199th overall pick in tom brady it never hurts to just reach for any type of potential you can get at what's ultimately the most important position in all of sports so i get it if they're trying to get some insurance in case Mac isn't ready to be a full-time starter or they're just trying to, you know, have a quarterback every year because they want to try and have, you know, a guy in the wings and just in case, or just to develop their own guy either way. I mean, make it quarterback. You like quarterback UCF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you uh, see fast, you see fierce quarterback UCF. Right. The, the, the ha- hashtags are plenty. Yeah, I know. The marketing just writes itself. Um, uh, when you look at this class in general, um, and I'll throw this open to both of you guys, um, did UCF fill the needs that they had going forward, at least with some of the guys who are, who are graduating or moving on after this year? Uh, or are there still some holes to fill, do you think? And Brian, I guess I'll start with you on this because you're 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 talking to the coaches and you're seeing you know some of the things where you know that that they might be concerned about um did they find the things that they needed to find or are there still going to be some areas of concern as we head in towards the spring i i think there was a big emphasis in this and i think there was a big emphasis last time too but about building on the interior and on your lines in total uh, and they kind of did that. I mean, you know, if you want to, if you care about star ratings, uh, you know, in terms of stars, you know, Hester and Medley, who we've already mentioned in this podcast, uh, a guy on each side of the line, they are the top rated prospects of this class. And I think overall, you saw that that they they need to sh- they know they need to get more depth and more prospects in those areas. You know, they're, they're basically losing the entire left side of their offensive line 
with, uh, with Wyatt Miller and Tyler Hudanik leaving. And then the defensive line, you know, you've got a lot of guys who are gone with, with Titus Davis and Joey Connors and A.J. Wooten. Could Tristan Hill go to the pros? Uh, I've heard I've heard things. Uh, so so we'll see. Uh, and so, yeah, they, need, they have a lot things. of changes they need to make. <laughs> they, I've heard things. I've heard things. Uh, they have a lot of changes they need to make on both those lines. I think they try to address that pretty hard today. And I think in that aspect, considering the athletes they got on each side of the line, I think they should be pretty happy. How about you, Zach? I agree with that. I think that, you know, the immediate needs that pop off to you are things that they addressed at the top of the class, which just makes it better and better. But I've also worried about corners throughout the year because, I mean, I can't even tell you some of the names of the corners that I was afraid they were going to have to play when I was down there for the pick game. Um was it Neville Clark that might have gotten hurt at some point and they already had Robinson go down at the very start of the year and there was I mean you look at their roster and you immediately thought that they were going to have to put in I think it was like Dylan Lester at corner who was a true uh, freshman at that mm-hmm. time so you know obviously it's not ideal for a team that is granted they were left out but ultimately the idea is that they should be contending for a playoff spot it's not really ideal to have a like low tier three star true freshman coming in and starting at corner for you. So I thought that they would really need to attack that depth. And according to two, four, seven, um, they had two pretty fairly rated three star corners in Gerard Baker, who chose UCF over the likes of Baylor, Arizona state. That was a really nice signing. He's six foot, 175 pounds, uh, the 100 fe- uh, first best corner in the nation. Um, and obviously there's so many corners in the nation. So while that doesn't sound great at first glance, I'd say for a school like UCF and the normal talent they pull in, that's pretty good. Uh, and Justin Bernard out of uh, McDonough, Georgia, he is a guy that's played corner. I'm pretty sure he's played receiver and running back as well. So he's a real athletic dude. They brought him in. So that's two corners right there. They're athletes. They can try and turn into um, – potential corners like Demarius Good could very well end up doing that. I think he's got the experience playing it as well as running back. Uh, Tay Gowan, who is one of my favorite signings, I said before we went on air, just because his first name starts with T and the last name starts with ends with Gowan. So <laughs> like my favorite player on the UCF offense, Taj McGowan. <laughs> but um, he's a community school uh, transfer, three-star lengthy dude at 62 170 so he can immediately provide some ability to come in and play he might not start but i figure he could probably get some early playing time um adding corners was one of the things i really thought they were going to need to come in and do early this year and they should have at least three in their initial wave of signings and i think that's really important i'm really ex- you know i'm really excited for Swer- Swervin Allen Curvin from Tarpon Springs, the punter that got taken in. 6'1", 185, and the kid can boom it. And apparently he can also, uh, he is, he also serves as place kicker, too. So, who knows? We might have a situation where we where we have, just like we had Javier Borleggi um, back in the day, a guy who maybe kicked and punted. I don't know if that's what Josh Hype wants to do, but Curvin can, Curvin can do it both. So, um, well, so I want to get that out UCF, there. I mean, I mean, I know, even if we're not even joking, UCF is losing both of its punter and field goal kicker this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. And, and that's it, I, I think people kind of forget like how important that is, you know, too, because kickers and punters are kind of an afterthought. But you know, hashtag college kickers, right? Um, uh, yeah, we I mean, know how important uh, that, that is. Mac Loudermilk gets a lot of pub because of his, you know, 
because he looks like you know, a he looks like a Viking raider, you know. But yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, yeah, he's he's. We all know he's he's straight out of of, of Game of Thrones, but he's been pretty good. And Maddie Wright has been nails, yeah, for at least a couple of years, right? Yeah, I, and in a in an era when games are decided by you know so often by one possession, quite often a field goal, you know, this is this is one of those chances where. You know, you kind of have to hit on some of these recruits. So, um, so yeah, this should be uh, this should be a lot of fun to see actually how the how the rest of this class works out. And of course, you heard it here from Zach that UCF may not be done yet. We're going to hold that to you, Zach, on your first appearance here on the show. I... <laughs> Let... Now I'm really nervous. Yeah, now, yeah, now, yeah. Now you need to be nervous. No, um, real quick before before we leave, any updates on any guys who might be looking at UCF in the now not so important spring signing period i um so when i did my you know primer pretty much on early signing day there were some guys i looked at espn because 247 didn't have as much of this kind of stuff down um as some guys that were uh, reportedly considering ucf and i haven't I, i i'm quite honest because i worked during the day i didn't keep up to see if they signed anywhere but from what i had heard before is that these guys weren't planning on signing just yet and that being receiver and athlete kenny logan uh out of pedro menendez in saint augustine he's a four-star receiver by espn three-star athlete by 247 um about 30 minutes from where i live um but he's received a lot of power five and sec interest um but he reportedly has warm interest in UCF himself, and he's a fast, fast dude on tape. Probably throw him in at receiver because they've got a lot of experience at receiver that in some might stick around, but at the same time, they can build a really young, like, electric nuclei, I guess is a good word I can use there, at receiver oh, in a guy like Logan, <laughs> uh, guy like Kayvon Ahmad. Um, and then another one is Brett Seether. He's a tight end. Big tight end, like 6'5", 230 out of Clearwater Central Catholic um, down in the Tampa, St. Pete area. He's from Maryland. He has an offer from Maryland that obviously sounds like if he if he's a guy that loved Maryland, he would probably want to go there. Um, but from a dude I've talked to who covers sports down in the Tampa, St. Pete area, he said that the dude is getting a lot more interest and honestly should probably be a four-star tight end just all in all. Um UCF has some bodies at tight end, but I mean, they didn't know what they were going to do at tight end this year until Kalubi Ali kind of started to break out a little bit more as what, like a six year senior. So yeah, yeah. You could argue that tight end is one of the biggest offensive needs here because they need some youth and they need some electricity from the position being that it's such a spread out offense that can use a pass catching tight end. And that's essentially what Brett Seether would do. Um, whether or not he decides to go to Maryland or I think TCU had some creeping interest, but much like Kenny Logan, it's reported by 247 that Seether has warm interest in UCF. So yeah. those would be two guys to keep an eye on because I have a feeling that if they do a big hat ceremony and they pick one, UCF should be on both of their tables. Yeah, Pitt, Maryland, Washington, or Michigan State, rather, and UCF are listed uh, under Seether's profile on 247. Uh, interestingly enough, his most recent tweet was, uh, as of this podcast, was retweeting the uh, UCF football account and uh, and their their tweet that announced Alan Curvin. Uh, so hey, you know everything in the end comes back to your kickers. 
But uh, all right, so we'll be keeping an eye on those guys. Zach, I can't thank you enough for the work that you've done for us, you know, this fall in, in your film breakdowns, which are really fantastic. Uh, and then also doing the, the work on the recru- on the recruiting stuff so far. Tell us about some of the other stuff that you're doing and tell us how people can uh, follow your work because you don't only do stuff for us, you do stuff for uh, Locked On Jags as well, following the Jaguars. If you guys want to see in-depth tweets about how the Jaguars need to rebuild their team this offseason as well as the occasional tweet firing off at a University of Florida fan from a UCF standpoint. <laughs> uh, make sure to follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. That's spelled with an H, uh, the right way to spell Zach. <laughs> but um, <laughs> in, in all seriousness, you know, I try and pump as much work out there regarding both the Jaguars and UCF. You know, those are my two teams through and through, no matter what, no matter where sports the sports world, any potential journalism gigs take me like these are these are my two teams. I bleed black and teal and black and gold in a collegiate standpoint. So you guys can follow all my work there. Uh, Locked on Jaguars is my podcast and website for the Jaguars. And as much work here at Black and Gold Banneret that I can get done. Um, go Knights. Great, great recruiting class, I think, in my opinion, to start off this year. Well, you see, Brian and I are Giants fans, but so we both have a very soft spot in our heart for Tom Coughlin, and we end up knowing way too much more, way too much about Jacksonville, uh, and way more than we probably should, uh, because we follow you so closely. So once again, Zach with an H underscore Goodall on Twitter. Zach, thanks for joining us, man, and we'll uh, we'll be keeping an eye on Twitter for if anything happens on uh, Friday. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, eyes peeled later in the day. All right. Uh, Stick around when we come back here on uh, the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Brian and I are going to riff a little bit about um, basketball, uh, both men's and women's, uh, as they head down the stretch of the uh, end of the non-conference schedule and get ready for conference play coming up in the new year. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. 
Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, we're back here at the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy with you. Thanks again to Zach Goodall for uh, hanging out with us to talk uh, football recruiting. Um, make sure you, again, follow him at Zach underscore uh, Goodall. We wanted to hit up on basketball. This is going to be a relatively short um, episode, like I mentioned, because A, Eric's not here, and B, um, it, it, I mean, it's the it's the wintertime. It's December. There's not much going on. We're six days away from Christmas. Uh, but there was some UCF basketball to talk about with, uh, well, a game against an old rival on uh, Sunday, December the 16th against uh, Stetson. UCF wins by 25 in that game, Brian. And, uh, well, we pretty much expected – that that would happen, but possibly by, I can't believe I'm about to say this. This is going to sound so stupid, but probably by a larger margin than they end up winning. But, you know, as mm-hmm. a tw- as though a 25 point victory on the home court is over another division one team is not enough, especially when you score, you know, 90 points for your second consecutive game. But, uh, but uh, the Knights do get the job done. And what look, it looked like they kind of, I don't want to say that they held back at times, but, uh, you know, Aubrey Dawkins led the team with 19 plus 13 boards, double-double for him. What a game that was for him. But um, what did you glean from this game? Because it was, you know, it's kind of hard to hard to get, you know, a read on any sort of new things that the team is doing in a game like that against Stetson where, you know, pretty it, Stetson's, Stetson's just bad. It, you roll the ball out there and, and you're going to beat them um, unless, you know, something really goes horribly wrong. Um, mm-hmm. But as you come down the stretch here with, you know, only one non-conference game left uh, against Illinois State on uh, Friday, the 21st here, you know, what did we learn from this in terms of what Johnny Dawkins' team is trying to get squared away before we start conference play on January 2nd against Temple? Well, I think there were a couple of takeaways more than just the win or the margin of victory, which, again, is like I said, it doesn't really matter UCF was UCF. I think I think uh, got got outscored, quote unquote, like uh, like seven to one. So it could have been like thirty two or plus thirty, but there was plus twenty five anyway. That, that doesn't matter. I think what, what what I think the two takeaways out of this game for UCF against Stetson were one, we know that this team has had trouble sort of building upon or and or maintaining large leads, double digit leads. Uh, remember against F- FAU early in the year at home here. I think they were up by, I want to say, 17 right. at one point, and then ended up losing that game. Um, same thing, really, against Georgia Southern, in which in a game in which they they were they were they were up big, and then they sort of had to scramble, thanks to B.J. Taylor and his his just amazing play to sort of pull that one out of the fire. So you wanted to see them sort of all right gain control, which they did at 15 to nothing. Went to well, you know win his lunch. Uh, and then go from there and, and build upon it, and they were able to do that. And again, it comes with all the caveats that, you know, yeah, Setson is, is probably one of the 50 worst teams in college, in Division One college basketball. 
and you know there's 300 plus of them so they're, they're really bad uh but but at least it happened at least we saw that it, that is a positive if you want to take one go going to the next game i think two also and it's it's certainly not no, nothing small the last couple of games this team has been pretty good from the free throw line and this has been something that we've talked about as being a ucf's bugaboo really since johnny dawkins has gotten here uh, a couple of years ago he really they really have just not, have not shot well uh consistently from the free throw line and the last couple of games uh we've seen them do much better taco fall is actually making free throws which i mean if he wait what even four, I, 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 <laughs> stop the presses jeffrey taco fall is making free throws and if he even if he gives you like 40 to 50 percent you'll take that because he he was he was meandering around twenty five percent at one point in the season, right? Um, and look, if this team can literally if this team can hit like seventy, I'd say seventy one to seventy five percent. I that sounds very exact, but really seventy one to seventy five percent of its free throws. That's a big difference for this team offensively, which usually you know is somewhere in the sixties, mid to, mid to high sixties. Um, those points are valuable, and uh, you know Johnny's always talked about how. They they shoot free throws really well in practice and not everything you hear a coach say about well they 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 do it in practice is great they just got to carry it over to the game and their touch is there they're just not getting the good and the good bounces I don't know maybe maybe that all we'll look back on this and I'll I'll have wasted you know two minutes of your life talking about this <laughs> and they'll go back to they'll go back to being a, a sub average free throw shooting team but that's important for this team offensively uh, again they're not gonna they're not gonna want to outscore you they're not gonna want to score ninety points a game. So for them to get, you know, three to five extra points that they wouldn't have gotten last year from the line uh, could be a huge difference for this team. I just feel like <clears throat> the thing that I get worried about so much in watching this team and it, it is the fact that Taco is such a liability in close games down the stretch because of his free throw shooting. And mm-hmm. you're you're forced to take him out of the game, essentially, if you're if you're in a you know, two, three, four possession game down the stretch because of his poor, uh, of his poor showing at the foul line, you know, nothing mm-hmm. against Chad Brown, but you know, it, but it's, it's nice if, you know, in the final moments in a close game, if you can have a seven foot seven rim protector back there, um, you know, keeping guys out of the paint, but they see it because of the free throw shooting. I, I do you feel that they can overcome that sort of, baked in virus if you will of uh of of having trouble of taco having trouble at the line yeah i think so uh it, it's you know look again it's not like they're gonna they want him to be mark price well they yeah. want him to <laughs> they want him to maybe hit 50 percent at best if he can 50 percent, that's gravy um it's it's really not him it's about everyone else chipping in and being at 70 percent or better and then if Taco can get to fifty, that's like that right. is amazing. But you uh, can but, see how they can, how other teams can do like a, you know, a hack hack a taco, and and, sure, and things guard, can they, get out of hand. They guarded they guarded against that <clears throat> close and late versus Missouri. I mean, they 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 basically rotated Taco in and out of the game depending on where they had possession. Um, but you know, I think we've also seen the last couple of games. And again, it's it's really hard to draw upon what progress this team is making when they have a game against Stetson in the middle there. Yeah. I don't know if that I don't know I don't know if that game means anything at all. It's, again, Stetson's that bad. Um but with without Taco on the floor and they put Chad Brown out there or or maybe maybe it's Chad Brown and Colin Smith 
or maybe it's just Colin Smith really at the five. It, it, it gives them a different look, a look that I've talked about before. They did, there's, they did not have anything close to this last year. Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't, uh, I'll say the word Rokas Ovidas. <laughs> uh, and I know that you can't really say that too much. Nah, you know, see, no now, now I'm going to get the little <laughs> E pegged on me see, for, yeah, for explicit yeah. language on this podcast. Thanks so, a lot, Brian. So I'm going to get an angry email from somebody about this. I know it. <laughs> yeah. um, but but with, with, without, with, with, with Colin Smith transferring in from George Washington, it's a new facet to this team they didn't have. That when Topper comes out, not only are they still pretty good in the paint, but they can run a, a different style of a ball. They can, really, they can really play at different paces, different speeds, um, different rotations, which I, which I still think they're figuring out. Uh, why as far as who can play when and where and with whom right uh all, i will say also it's my weekly obligation to say more frank birds uh <laughs> and, and and i think it's it's a pretty dangerous team if they can get it all to mesh together because if it all meshes together we know taco's there and bj's great and aubrey is showing his ability he's getting better as a rebounder and obviously he's a dangerous scorer when hot but th- then you've got guys like colin smith who is very versatile Chad Brown is out there doing his doing his thing of like just crashing boards and being reckless and getting blocks and bringing energy. Uh, Frank Burtz is hitting threes. Uh, Cesar De Jesus is driving in the lane really well. And they got guys who do a lot. They don't have a guy who is. I don't think they have somebody on this team who is great at everything. But I think they have a lot of guys who are good at some things. And I think that all meshes together to make a really good unit. I know again we'll we'll find out more when conference play comes around right after the new year um but i, I you know far be it for me to say that this team has turned a corner after a win at for stetson right but it's certainly it certainly looks better than it did two weeks ago well here we are talking about them quote turning a corner end quote and they're nine and two you know i and i, I know and, and, and i know that the two were just i mean they were i mean even still to this day here we, here we are you know weeks later and we want to you know, you they throw should be eleven and zero. Yeah, yeah, should they should be eleven and zero. I mean, they they kind of they kind of blew the late game situation against Mizzou, and then they blew that big lead against FAU. But you know, maybe we look back on that and say, hey, this is how, this is when they figured out how to uh, you know how to really play together. So again, Illinois State on Friday at seven at CFE Arena. That game's on ESPN three. Uh, January second, Wednesday, seven p.m. Conference play starts against Temple at CFE Arena. That game will be televised on. ESPN News uh, and plenty of ESPN News and ESPNU um, dates coming up as well. Uh, possibly one on ESPN2 against UConn at the end of January, but uh, nonetheless, things to keep an eye on for UCF men's basketball as they head uh, down the stretch and get ready for conference play in the new year. All right, speaking of uh, getting ready for conference play in the new year, UCF women's basketball uh, is off to a 9-1 and start. Uh, their most recent uh, victory was uh, on Monday, a couple days ago, against uh, the University of the Pacific, uh, 64-57 in a game that um, was, well, it was not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination for either uh, team. UCF um, won the game despite shooting 18 of 56 from the field. It's 32%, but they shot 25, they shot 32 free throws. Uh, and uh, made 25 of them. K.K. Wright was the night's leading scorer with 27 points, 16 of them coming at the line. She set uh, a new school record, 16 free throws made in one game. She was 16 of 18 um, to get the 27. 
Uh, Sidney McDonald added 10 on four of nine shooting, including a pair of threes. Um, and Coach Abe's team, you know, but let's give them credit for the defense because they held Pacific, which is, you know, watching them. And I did PA for the game, full disclosure. So I've got a front row seat. And Pacific plays a very sort of unorthodox, up-tempo, quick shooting. I, I, I liken it to like a classic West Coast basketball. Um, where, you know, they don't play the game in with the tempo that, say, a UConn does uh, or a USF. But, the, it, well, maybe they're a little bit closer to what USF does. But um, they're, they're interested in getting off quick shots. They took a lot of threes in this game. They were only 5 of 21 from three-point range. Um, and uh, But they uh, they shot only 33% in this game. Um, and despite making more field goals than UCF, you know, they still lost the game. Pacific did by... Um, seven points. I think I was more um, interested in seeing like how the defense would actually work um, when they were tested by a team that does play a different system, um, which they they passed that test. Remember, they lost to Pacific last year in a very close game. So what I think is interesting about this team, though, Brian, is they have these two non-conference, they have three non-conference games left before the new year. They go, They next go to St. Petersburg for the St. Pete shootout. Uh, where they play Liberty on Friday and then Syracuse on Saturday before they finish up Sunday, December 30th at Quinnipiac and then start conference play Saturday, January 5th at Memphis. Not a lot of home games for this team this year, by the way. They've only played four games at home. But I hopped on RealTimeRPI.com today and UCF's RPI, women's basketball, right now, is at, with a record of uh, with a, with a record of nine and one, their RPI in the country is twelfth. No, oh. and let's give them some credit for the, those early season victories. You know, against Villanova, they did have the loss uh, at Central Michigan, but Central Michigan's RPI forty four. They beat Villanova, RPI thirty three. They beat Duquesne, RPI forty nine. Beat Pacific, RPI sixty four. They have Liberty coming up, whose RPI is three fourteen. Not that great. But coming up after that, Syracuse with an RPI of 14. So here's where I think, Brian, the, 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 we're going to really find out where this team is made of as, we, as they do those back-to-back nights in St. Mm-hmm. Pete before we get ready to see them play against UConn, whose RPI, strangely enough, is at number two. Um, and I'm really interested to see what this team can um, achieve. You know, So far, they've been healthy. Um, and but I looked at that RPI number. I was like, "Wow, okay, RPI twelve. This kind of has the early makings of sort of the women's basketball version of volleyball, if you will. You know, when all of a sudden they play that early that that pretty strong early season schedule, and then all of a sudden, boom, things kind of worked out for them. Yeah, I think you just mentioned it, Jeff. And what's impressive to me is you're, you're nine and one with only four home games. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about a team that if you once you get into a tournament setting, as this team has aspirations for. Uh, they're, they've been tested. They know what it is like to play uh, in, in, you know, sort of not favorable environments, and that's going to help you down, down the road in March. Yeah, it's not going to get any easier. Was they have this the, the neutral site, like I said, those two games in St. Pete at Quinnipiac in Connecticut. So that's a long, wrong road trip. And then they start the conference regular season with at Memphis and then at South Florida. And the South Florida game, I think, is the one that I'm going to be really interested in watching because. Like we mentioned, according to uh, realtimerpi.com, USF is you know, nine and two right now, obviously in their record. 
with an RPI of 95, but we know how good they are. They, if you take UConn out, they're the, they're the, they would be the overwhelming favorite in the American. Um, so what do they do in that game at, uh, in Tampa against, uh, against that team? I just, I think I have that date circled on the calendar as do a lot of people as they should, you know, that game would be on ESPN three eventually, but, um, are you going to be conflicted at all when they play Syracuse? You know, uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Syracuse women's basketball has been kind of not has not been a factor at all uh, until the last few years. Uh, they've done mm-hmm. they've performed a lot of investment in that program. Um, they used to play in the uh, in the old Manly Fieldhouse, which was where the men's basketball team used to play before they opened up the Carrier Dome. They still played basketball in the Manly Fieldhouse. Well, then they turned Manly into the football team's indoor practice facility. So they decided, let's move the women's team into the Carrier Dome, too. So they play in the Carrier Dome now. And... Since they made that move, now I'm not saying that playing in the carry because sometimes they play before some empty crowds in the carry dome. But um, you know, when you're talking about a you know fifty thousand seat football stadium, um, you know that's that's pretty much what you're going to get. And we know that Syracuse mm. really is a basketball school, but they've been they've made this investment in women's basketball that has uh, that has I think paid dividends. So and we see it now with an RPI. They have an RPI of fourteen coming in. Um, the orange are uh, nine and two on the year, like we mentioned, like we mentioned earlier. So, um, I think that'll be an interesting test for UCF on a neutral floor in St. Pete, relatively close to home, but still not not exactly home. I'm going to be very interested to watch that game. They don't have any live video coverage, unfortunately, at least not that we know of. Of the St. Pete shootout, we'll have to deal with live stats and uh, listen to Scotty Adams' broadcast, but. Um, but still, I, I, I'm 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 very intrigued to see you know what comes out. I think that'll be a good preview of what to expect from UCF once we get into conference play because I think that um, what's the style that Syracuse plays is going to be um, very similar to some of the top echelon teams in the American. All right, Brian, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up as we finish up here. Obviously, you know we're still keeping an eye on any late recruiting news. The early signing period ends on Friday. It's actually three days: Wednesday, Thursday. And Friday, so we'll see if anything does um, pop up. What else are you working on? I know you're heading down to uh, you're heading out to Phoenix a few days in advance for the bowl game. I think on the 27th. I think you said you're heading out there. Yeah, so we we can talk about that next week because we'll love a podcast before then. I hope. I know. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. have one. We're gonna have one more before, hopefully, before you head out there. Um, yeah, yeah. I leave on the 27th. We should have a podcast on the 26th. We're right. having a podcast meeting right now. Right, and and it's a Wednesday. It, Wednesday the 26th, I think. Usually we record on Wednesday nights, as you guys know. We try and get it up on Thursday morning. Um, and we're going to do – our next one's going to be all all Fiesta Bowl um, to try and get everybody ready. And we're going to uh, – and we'll try and dive into a full preview of LSU. By the way, another guy from their defensive uh, from their defensive side of the ball said he's not playing. Is that right? Yeah, so Ed Alexander, whom uh, 2016 was an all-freshman team in the SEC, uh, and then kind of was a reserve – uh, for the last, you know, for 2017, and then entered ended entered this year hurt, but has really been LSU's starting defensive tackle, kind of like their big run stopper, lane clogger guy. Uh, the second half of this season, he will not play in this game. Uh, his mom apparently had said tonight 
that Ed will focus on the NFL draft and he will skip the Fiesta Bowl. So that is now, from my count, this might be even a low ball count, that's three starters that LSU will not have on the defensive side. Ed Alexander in the middle of their defensive line. Right. Their, their first round possible top 10 pick cornerback in Greedy Williams. And then their other starting cornerback who's hurt for this game, Christian Fulton. So, okay. Two starting corners on the outside. Mm-hmm. And your big body in the middle. Yes. Interesting. Just saying. Yeah. And very, very interesting. All right. Um, we'll keep an eye on that. And, um, you know, and by the way, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you follow our SB Nation compadres uh, covering the LSU Tigers and the Valley Shook and the Valley Shook dot com. Um, a, rare, a reference, by the way, to the earthquake game against Auburn. That's where they got their the name for their mm. site. But um, they do such a great job. Uh, covering LSU football, and if you want to know everything you need to know about the Tigers um, heading into the Fiesta Bowl, this is the guy you want to know about, or, or this is the site you need to know about so that you get everything done that uh, that you need to do. So um, plenty uh, of stuff here that we're actually looking at um, for the Fiesta Bowl and also keeping an eye on basketball as well. The spring sports will be firing up soon enough but we're going to be zeroing in on the fiesta bowl here as we um as we wrap up this week and we head toward new year's day all right lots of folks to thank i want to thank zach goodall once again for joining us and talking about uh recruiting uh you can follow him at zach zach with an h underscore goodall uh also if you're a jags fan you you, like you just need to follow him okay um also want to thank yeah i want to i want to i want to toot zach's horn here for just a second yes one if you are if you are a zags fan uh zags fan there you go (laughs) college basketball on my mind if you are a jags fan uh definitely follow him because his tape breakdowns of some top-notch players like Dwayne haskins and justin herbert and hollywood brown the wide receiver for oklahoma he does these long, in-depth, really deep tape breakdowns for each player, and it's they're fast. They are they're works really good. of art. He's done a couple for us with like Titus Davis yes. and another player I, whom I, I can't remember. But he did he one on Mackenzie well. Milton that was really good. Oh, too. he did Mackenzie. That's right, yeah. and they're really good. And also, uh, definitely still go read uh, Zach's uh, sign, signing day primer because although some of those guys have signed, uh, if you're not familiar with them. He does a really good job of getting you up to speed and getting you knowledgeable about the top the top prospects in this class. And like we mentioned already on the show, there are a couple guys that he that he wrote about in that article who have yet to make their decision. Right. So you might we might see them pop up in the next day or so. And if you want to know who they are, Zach has already written about them and he's done he's done a really good job. And it's uh, I'm envious because I really 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 wish I cared more, but I just don't. I wish I had the knowledge that he had about the game too. So I, that's the other thing. So um, make sure you follow Zach and uh, and all the work that he does as well. Make sure you follow all of our other guys as well. Luke Saris and the work that he's been doing for us uh, coming through. Eric Lopez has a big series that he's been working on uh, through the uh, the dog days of December on uh, future UCF Hall of Famers. He also did a feature on ranking UCF's nine bowl games that they played so far from worst to best this is this will be UCF's 10th bowl game in school history kind of hard to believe remember the days Brian when we were like will UCF ever actually attend a bowl game and now they've gone to and now they've gone to 10 so uh and uh in addition to that I also wanted to thank Sam Unger for uh, his support um throughout the year uh throughout really 
well, the last year plus that he's been sponsoring the podcast. Yeah. He's been a tremendous help to us and um and you know and, and he's such a great follow on Twitter. Um if you're because he he just lives and dies UCF even more than we do combined. Um but uh but yeah, I want to thank Sam for all of his support uh throughout this time as well. And thanks and since this is our last episode before we're gonna have the uh, before the Christmas holiday, we wanted to wish you um, the listener, uh, a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, whatever it is that you may celebrate with your friends and family. Please enjoy it. Uh, enjoy it safely as well. And uh, and like I said, once we get through the Christmas holiday, man, here we go. It's going to be uh, it's going to be time to uh, take the football field one more time uh, in twenty uh, uh, in the twenty eighteen twenty nineteen season against the uh, LSU Tigers. Brian Murphy, thank you once again as well. Appreciate you as always, bud. Bye, Jeffrey. <laughs> Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter in case you're interested, uh, which you doggone well should be. Uh, And uh, also, if you want to follow me individually for whatever reason, Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow us uh, collectively at UCF underscore Banneret and at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. We are SB Nation's home for your UCF Knights at BlackandGoldBanneret.com. For Zach Goodall and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Happy holidays from all of us. We'll catch you on the flip side as we get ready for the 2019 Fiesta Bowl in our next episode.